Today we visit a house and meet Moth and Butterfly for the first time. Welcome to the first episode of the Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 1. In the Kitchen. Fran closed the oven door and set the timer. She stared at the numbers long enough for the last digit to change. She smiled. There. That seemed to be working all right. Brian would be pleased. A nice home-cooked dinner with the wife and kids, all together as a family. It happened every night, but still she liked it. They all did. She gave the cooking utensils and cutting board a cursory wash and stowed them. She wiped the turquoise formica counter, shook the crumbs into the sink, let the water run for a few seconds. She hung the dishcloth over the oven door handle. She had a little time now. That melancholy tune on the radio, had she ever heard it? It was lovely anyway. A bit sad, but she could take it. She found her crossword puzzle and brought it to the kitchen table. Now, four down. Elastic determination, nine letters, started with R. She tapped her pencil against the table as she pondered. The woman with the red hair sat down across from her. A sweetish smell, subtle yet somehow piercing, wafted over that of the roast, for a short moment, by friend's reckoning, and then was gone again. It surprised Fran, but did not alarm her, even when the woman addressed her with a short burst of alien syllables. I'm sorry, I don't understand, said Fran. A look of irritation flickered across the woman's features. Oh, English. You were waiting for me. This was news to Fran, but she took it in her stride. Was I? Yes, I suppose I was. She looked at the woman with mild curiosity. Conventionally beautiful, long red hair, elaborate makeup, athletic build, a severe but stylish grey-green suit, very pale skin, interesting yellow eyes. I'm sorry, I seem to have forgotten your name. You may call me Moth. That's an unusual name. I get that a lot. Moth appraised the room. The curtains were drawn shut over the large window above the sink. A radio was playing Ravel's Pavane pour une enfant défunte the original version for piano, not the later orchestration. The digital readout clock showed 637 in red blocky numbers. In the evening, Moth surmised. Fran was in the middle of preparing dinner, apparently, and had sat down after putting the roast in the oven. Are you alone? Moth asked. Oh no, the children are playing upstairs. Moth cocked her head upwards, 
quiet, aren't they? Yes, they're very well behaved. They're probably reading in Joshua's room. Joshua's pretty bookish. Two of them, I believe? Yes. Fran's smile widened and became cordial. Ashley's birthday is coming up. She's turning eight, and Joshua's twelve. Moth made an invisible note. Somewhere a file was updated. Your husband isn't home? Fran's gaze slid back down to her crossword puzzle. He's at work. Well, at this moment he's probably already on his way back. He should be here any minute. Will you stay for dinner? That's a lovely invitation, but I'm actually waiting for a friend. We wouldn't want to impose. Nonsense! The roast is huge, and the kids don't eat much. I'll just start on some more potatoes. Do stay. She looked at Moth directly. Please. Moth made another note as she nodded. All right. Yes. Thank you very much. Fran pushed the crossword aside with a delighted sigh, switched the radio off, and went out through a side door. She came back in with a small load of potatoes, which she set about peeling. So you're a housewife? I'm sorry? Fran sounded both amused and slightly offended. No, I work too. I'm a schoolteacher. I teach third grade. She scraped a little mound of peelings into the garbage under the sink. But it's summer vacation just now. Yes, of course, said Moth. Another note. Fran had spoken with aplomb, but it was, in fact, a few days into February. The idea that I'm a housewife, tutted Fran, still smiling. I wouldn't have married Brian if he'd been the kind to ask me to stop working outside. I mean, this is the 80s. Moth laughed. The notes were coming in thick and fast. In this division, the 80s had come and gone a while ago. There was a lull. Do you need any help with that? Moth eventually asked. No, thanks. Cooking helps me think. The last potato dropped into the pot of water. Fran reached over and switched the burner on. Moth decided to take a small risk. Brian is your second husband. Fran's hand, which now held the salt shaker, slowed over the pot. After a short hesitation, Fran briskly shook some salt into the water. She took a deep breath, turned, smiled very widely indeed, and sat back down to her crossword. Yes, after Simon died, Simon was my first husband, the children's father, said Moth. She made a note, keeping the exasperation out of her eyes. Yes. After Simon died, Brian showed up and he helped. He really helped. I wouldn't have imagined. She blushed. He's no Adonis, you see. But then I'm hardly Venus myself. Never was, even in my prime, let's be honest. One thing led to another in any case, and here we are. <laughs> Still managed to bag two fellows, right? The kids weren't quite so keen, mind. No? 
Well, you know how stubborn children can be. Can't really blame them either, I suppose. They miss their dad. I do too, if it comes to that. I wouldn't say it quite like that to poor Brian's face, bless him, but, you know. She sighed, then added, brightening. They're slowly coming round, though, I think. Of course they are, said Moth. Shall we look in on them? There was a fine blast of sweetness over everything. Marzipan? A hint of almonds in it somewhere, at any rate. It evaporated almost immediately, and a lively masculine voice addressed them from the front hall, in the same foreign language Moth had used when she'd arrived. The man beamed as he walked in. Why wouldn't he? He didn't know that he would die in this room. English, said Moth. The man looked nonplussed. He straightened his tie to regain his composure. I'm sorry, he said. Hello. Franz stood up. Don't worry about it. You're Moth's friend? We were waiting for you. The man shot a questioning glance at Moth, who nodded once. He walked to Fran and shook hands with her. Yes, yes, I am. Call me Butterfly. I'm Fran. Lovely to meet you. Shall we look in on the kids? Repeated Moth. An excellent idea, exclaimed Butterfly. Fran? Fran demurred. I have to stay with the roast, and the potatoes have only just started to boil. You guys go. Let me go up and say hi, then, said Moth. Butterfly, do stay here with Fran. Make yourself useful. Are you sure? wondered Fran. Something in Moth's eyes answered that question. Joshua's room is the second door on the left, Fran went on, abashed. Ashley's across the hall if they're not together. Tell them to get ready for dinner. Moth nodded and turned to leave. As she was about to step into the corridor, Fran's voice stopped her. Moth? Moth turned back. Was Fran's gaze wistful? Hopeful? Empty? Dead? Moth found it difficult to tell. She made a note of that and made sure Butterfly would get it. Let them know I love them, whispered Fran. Moth nodded again and walked out. As she was starting up the carpeted stairs, she heard Butterfly ask Fran, Do you have any savory? It's brilliant in mashed potatoes. Moth half smiled. He was right. Moth didn't immediately go to Joshua's room. She had a good idea what she would see there. She walked instead to the window at the very end of the upstairs hall. She drew the curtains back and made a cursory note. It would not surprise Butterfly. She itched to give Collection a call, but after the disaster at Woodstock, protocols had been revised. Once they were on this side of the slide, Collection would take no call until Moth was ready to report. She did have one hunch. What had Fran called him? Simon? She found the master bedroom. She saw the desiccated corpse on the bed the rarefied tufts of hair, the sunken papery cheeks, the blackened voids in place of eyes, the lips thinned and pulled back 
around browned teeth. This had been violent, and by any reckoning it had happened a long time ago. She received an impression of fire. Not just any old fire either, something altogether more elemental. She wondered how long Fran had been in the kitchen. She didn't bother to knock at the children's door. She walked in. She noted it all down. Bodies, room, vestigial resonance, books on the desk, and went back downstairs. And if her tread was now a little quicker than it had been going up, what of that? She composed herself before going back into the kitchen. She saw that Butterfly had received the notes. Fran looked up. You were right. They're reading, said Moth. Joshua says they're coming down as soon as he's finished his short story. He's reading Poe? Oh, I wish he wouldn't, said Fran with genuine concern as she put a crossword puzzle away into a drawer. He's too young for Poe. It'll freak him out. Twelve is a good age to read Poe, said Butterfly. And if Fran realized that she had never told him Joshua's age, she didn't let on. What else does he like? He showed me his other books, answered Moth. Howard, Maupassant, Rossetti. Goblin Market? asked Butterfly. Possibly. Also someone named C.L. Moore. I don't know them all. I'm more the musical type. Nice. I approve of this list, Butterfly said. I trust your judgment, said Moth. Lovely kids in any case. Polite. Charming. Fran glowed. Setting the table, roast and mashed potatoes in the center smelling wonderful, and sitting down to wait for Brian took no more than three minutes by Fran's reckoning. Moth and Butterfly both knew, however, that it was only after an age that the sound of the opening front door finally came. There's Brian! Fran cried. She bounded up and ran to the kitchen door. A heavy-set man stepped into her outstretched arms before she could put her foot down into the hall. He pressed his pudgy lips to hers, his breathing loud and snorting. She let it happen before pushing him back with an embarrassed giggle. Brian put his attaché case down and threw his trench coat back through the doorway onto the banister. He turned around, plaid shirt stained at the armpits, creased trousers held by suspenders, dimly glowing mud on his shoes, and glared at Moth and Butterfly. There stood a man who wanted to be alone with his family after a hard day at the office. He had not expected company. Look, honey said Fran. It's Moth and Butterfly. They're having dinner with us. Hello, Brian, said Butterfly. You invited us, remember? Brian ran a hand through his slicked brown hair. Yes, he sighed. His tongue poked out and disappeared again. Yes, I suppose I did. Welcome. I think this calls for wine, said Fran. She fished a bottle of red out of the pantry. Here, open it, Butterfly. I'll get the glasses. Moth, can you help me with those? We have crackers and cheese somewhere as well, Brian. Will you take care of that? Nothing about this meal said summer vacation, noted Moth. 
For a short while, they bustled about the kitchen. Then they were sitting. They toasted one another's health awkwardly. A long, or short, or interminable silence. We're about ready for the main course, I think, said Fran suddenly. Brian, call the children down to dinner, will you? They'll be so happy to see you. Brian swallowed some cheese and pouted. His sullen eyes smoldered. Are you sure, darling? He rumbled, low, machine-like. They're probably not very hungry. Do you think so? said Moth. Joshua said they're coming down in a few minutes anyway. Brian took a gulp of wine. He swallowed for years. Did he now? Oh, yes, Moth assured him. Yes, he did. Brian's breathing had begun to fray. He darted unconcealed glances at the curtain window above the sink and at the door behind him. Moth made a note to Butterfly, who relaxed and let his hand fall across his lap. Then Moth clicked her tongue. The sound reverberated through the whole house. Well, she said. There's a discrepancy and no mistake. All the glasses on the table exploded as Brian roared with the voice of a thousand evil dimensions and liquefied into a many-limbed trans-elemental pool of fire. Moth had already leapt across to Fran and pushed her down, shielding her. Butterfly's Sira was in his hand, pointing at the gibbering mass of the discrepancy. A part of Moth's brain registered, as always, the unsettling sound of the Sira discharging. A deep church bell bong, followed by a half-second of no sound at all in the universe. The technical term was boomvac, and Moth hated it. It made her stomach churn. The searer sliced through all worlds and burned a charred hole into the Brian Thing's body. Butterfly calmly seared Fran's husband again. Then Brian really started to shriek. Butterfly's finger was tightening on the searer's trigger for the third time when a yowling appendage of liquid gold snaked up, almost too fast to be seen, and took his hand. Blood jetted across the table. Moth whipped round at Butterfly's startled cry of pain, just in time to see him hit the walls in several meaty, glistening hunks. Blood gushed through the kitchen. It drenched both Moth and Fran. The discrepancy's wife was already losing the ability to scream. Her eyes no longer looked in the same direction. To the end of her days, Moth never quite knew why Brian did not simply murder her next. Perhaps he was too dazed by his injuries to think clearly. That was certainly what she would tell Collection later, and how she would spin the tale in her old age. Lowing like a cosmic ruminant, the discrepancy lurched about, disoriented. Its maw worked mechanically, open, closed, out, in. The holes in its palpitating bulk oozed fiery red pus, in fits and starts, it reformed into a vaguely human shape and lumbered round, dripping lashes of itself onto the carpet. 
It threw the front door open, not on a neatly manicured suburban lawn, but on what Moth had already seen through the upstairs window, the roiling ribbons of nothing and all, where the creature had hidden Fran's house a few moments ago by its own reckoning. The discrepancy groaned, shook itself, and sprang toward the freedom of the voids. Moth's divisional garrote slipped across its throat. Brian wheezed in outrage as the filament tightened and bit into him, thin and intransigent. He groped for the doorframe, feeling himself hauled back into the lobby. Something that looked like a thrashing tongue shot out of its mouth. Moth averted her gaze and braced herself across the discrepancy's back. Brian had guile and desperation, but Moth had training and the blood of her friend on her skin. She kept the tension on the garrote until long after the spasms had stopped coursing along the brute's surface. Coughing, retching, babbling, Moth let go, staggered back, fought to remain upright. What the discrepancy had left behind was already darkening to embers. She slammed the front door shut. Then, slowly, she let herself slide down to the floor of the lobby and breathed. Much later, she teased the remains into the vial. When Moth walked back into the kitchen, Fran was huddled into a shivering ball near the oven, her knees drawn tight under her chin, her skin and hair filthy with blood and bits of butterfly. The aroma of the roast had not entirely dissipated. Moth could not ascertain if anything lucid remained behind Fran's disturbed eyes. She knew what she believed, however. Gingerly, she put a hand on the woman's shoulder and made her sleep. Then she sat at the kitchen table and contacted Collection. Report, said Collection. The discrepancy has been straight-lined, said Moth, and sent the vial. She heard Collection swear. Swearing was something Collection sometimes did. That was a strong discrepancy, Collection said, a hint of reproach in his voice. The vestigial resonance nearly blew my hand off. It was, agreed Moth. It's all in the notes. Why did you take care of the remains yourself? The cleaners could have done that. I like to keep in practice, she said. You never know. She wiped some of the bloody grime off her cheeks and flicked it away, watching it speckle the walls. There was nothing left of her usual impeccable makeup. I'm afraid Butterfly didn't make it through. A soft gasp. That's too bad. We lose good people now and then. That can't be helped. Are you all right? I'm all right. Did... did he go quickly? Nerves made her crass. Not quite quickly enough by his reckoning, if I had to guess. That's too bad. Collection repeated. Moth could feel the wince in the voice. He acquitted himself well, though she went on. He hit the end wall like a knight. It's only because he wounded the discrepancy that I was able to straight-line it. That's something, I guess. And it's worth twenty percent more on his estate pension. Can the body be repatriated? Moth sniffed. 
I don't think so. I'll bring back a relic for the rites. I see. Any survivors? Moth's dry eyes flitted to the sleeping Fran. No. No one but me in here now. That's too bad, said Collection for the third time. You're not requesting a cleanup crew, then? Is that what you're telling me? I'll wipe it down when I leave, muttered Moth. There were holes in the brief, you know. I don't like that. Nothing major. It was English, not Sinhala. The name of the first husband was wrong. Details like that. But when you show up, you need all your wits about you, and the smallest thing can throw you off. I'm sorry to hear that. Collection sounded defensive. The briefs came from a different department. It's not an exact science, you know. Yes. Let Might know, will you, about Butterfly? I understand they were no longer close, but she should still be told before his portrait is hung outside your office. Of course. The sound of a throat being cleared. A false start, then another. Would you like to be excused from the house party? Asked Collection at length. I can make a discreet announcement. Everyone will understand. Moth thought for a moment. Her cheeks colored. Will Cicada be there? Collection didn't actually chuckle, but it was a near thing. Everyone's nerves were strained, it seemed. I believe so. She sent in her RSVP last week. Went for the fish, if memory serves. I think a drink might do me good, murmured Moth. Not for the first time, she marveled at what passed for normal to them all. Right, said Collection. See you tonight, then. Don't forget to drop by medical first thing, though. I won't. The presence of Collection winked out. Moth knew exactly how it went, but it never failed to unsettle her. It was like someone kicking away your walking stick. Rubbing her temples, hoping to clear her head, Moth stole back to Fran's side. No. Butterfly's relic. Grisly work, but it had to be done. Looking for a suitable knife, she opened a few drawers and stumbled upon Fran's crossword puzzle. She glanced through it, idly, and was struck by one prophetic clue. Yes, a queer coincidence and no mistake. Moth bent over Fran. The woman slept, yes, but fitfully, even now. The elemental madness was in her for good. It would never leave her again. Would you like to hug the children goodnight? Moth whispered, touching Fran on the shoulder for the second time. Fran's eyes fluttered open. They found her at last, but oh, the madness was close. Yes, Fran said, her voice nearly inaudible. Yes, that would be lovely. Moth half-dragged, half-carried her upstairs, and that felt much harder than garroting Brian had done. When they entered Joshua's room, Fran stopped so suddenly they nearly tumbled over. Moth froze. Perhaps this had been a mistake. 
Fran's eyes swirled deliriously for longer than Moth liked. Then they cleared and settled on the grim husks on the bed. Moth's hand hovered over Fran's shoulder. When Fran spoke, however, it was with genuine, uncontrived love. Hey, guys, she croaked. Will you come and give me a hug before you go to sleep? A painful minute went by. All right, she said. I'll hug you, then. Moth helped her onto the bed. Fran snuggled to the brittle carcasses, ignoring the sound of bones, long dry, snapping. With a happy sigh, she caressed non-existent hair. Moth bit her lip. Good night, my loves, Fran cooed. Hey, let's all go back to the park tomorrow, okay? And the day after that. There's still loads of summertime left. Daddy loves the park. He can take the day off. I love you. She kissed them. First Ashley, then Joshua. You're the best kids in all the worlds. I love you so much. Good night. She began singing a lullaby Moth had never heard before. Between the third and fourth incomprehensible verse, Moth touched Fran on the shoulder one last time. Fran's arms slowly closed about her children, and in due course she stopped moving altogether. Moth kept that off the notes. It was a kindness, really. Sometime later, by her reckoning, she reduced the house to a singularity and left in a drift of sweet almonds. This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, do tell people about it. That'd be lovely of you. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The address is in the show notes. This episode, which acts as a sort of prologue to the series, was kind of a horror story, wasn't it? They're not all like that. I thought I was writing a sequence of horror stories, which, if you knew me, would startle you somewhat, but it all turned out a little more involved. Stick around and you'll see. There will only be 14 episodes, after all. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of the Moth Collection.